0: You turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4, found on page 486. Esther 4, starting at verse 1. Verse one. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, whether the king's command Wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments uh, to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her. And ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this, this was and why it was. Hathach uh, went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explained it to her. And command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of of her people and Hethek uh, went out and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hethek and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and um, and the people of the king King's provinces know that if any man or woman goes into the uh, to the king inside the inner court without being called. There is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king these thirty days. And they went and, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Have you ever heard the story about the young Zod? It's by Dr. Seuss. Who came to a sign at the fork of the road. He looked one way and then the other way too. The Zod had to make up his mind what to do. Well, the Zod scratched his head and his chin and his pants, and he said to himself, I'll be taking a chance. If I go to place one... That place may be hot, so how will I know if I like it or not? On the other hand, though, I'll feel such a fool if I go to place two and find that it's too cool. In that case, I may catch a chill and turn blue. So place one may be best and not place two. Play safe, cried the Zode. I'll play safe. I'm no dunce. I'll simply start off to both places at once. And that's how the Zode, who would not take a chance, went no place at all with a split in his pants. Maybe you read that one to your kids once upon a time. But have you ever found yourself in a similar situation? You are faced with two choices. The one choice involves really doing nothing. You can play it safe. The other one is filled with uncertainty, and there's no clear results. You're not sure how it's going to end. It's easy to think about helping someone, but then you end up doing nothing. But it's another thing. When you do help someone, and then it has a way of getting your hands dirty. It can be messy. Their problems suddenly become your problems, and it's not easy. This is where Esther found herself in our text. Mordecai had heard Haman's edict, backed by the king, that in ten months, all the Jews, in the entire province would be annihilated. Our passage says, after finding out Mordecai, Uh, Mordecai put on uh, sackcloth and ashes. Sackcloth, often like goat's hair, uh, a garment made out of goat's hair, which was really scratchy. Often they were, uh, they hung really loose on you and ashes from a fire on top of your head. And people would have known that it was a sign of grief. And as he walks around the city, he begins to wail. Very much the way we see people in the Middle East wail even today when, when, They've shown clips of funerals that people have gone to. And they cry out very loudly. They shriek and they wail. And it's a little bit different than than what we're used to. This was Mordecai's initial reaction to the news. I think it was one of of grief and and probably of a little bit of fear. Verse 3 tells us that the same kind of mourning by the Jews was going on through all the provinces, through the entire empire. When Esther was told about Mordecai, that he was walking around in sackcloth and ashes, she's obviously concerned about her adopted father, and so she sends out new clothes to him, but he wouldn't put them on. And so then Esther sends Hetek to him, one of the king's eunuchs, who watched over her and told her to find out from Mordecai what was going on. I think you could say in many ways that Esther was living in a bubble, living in the palace. She wasn't really aware of what was going on in the kingdom around. She was in a little cocoon. Um, Often they they didn't share much um, with with those who were in the harem. And uh, so I'm sure it was a surprise to her when she found out that in 10 months, all the Jews were destined to be exterminated. I think she initially reacts much as Mordecai did with... uh, A lot of sorrow, but I think some fear too, at least initially. Don't forget, since King Xerxes had had put his blessings on on Haman's plans, that meant that it could never be changed. We we talked before about once the king spoke a a command that it had to be carried out and it could never be changed because they almost saw them as being like a, a deity of sorts. Historians tell us that at the time there was about 15 million Jews that were living in the province, in, in Babylon, and in the surrounding areas. And uh, that's a lot of people that were destined to die. After the Jews were all to be killed, Haman planned to sell their land and their belongings and then basically pay the, the king a, a ransom. Um, it says of 10,000 talents of silver, which would have been 375 tons of silver, 375 tons of silver. This was quite a little bribe that um, Mordecai or or Haman had, had put together. And Mordecai, because he knew that Esther would have a hard time believing it, even sends her a copy of the edict so that she could see it with her own eyes. But while inconsolable anguish may have been Mordecai and Esther's initial response, it wasn't It wasn't their main response. We also see in this chapter Mordecai responding with with great faith. And we'll see that in a moment with Esther as well. In verse 14, he says something really amazing to Esther. He says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Do you hear his confidence? Do you hear his faith? Mordecai is saying, Esther, even if you don't do anything, salvation will come. It's God's will. But if you're not willing to be part of God's plan, you're going to miss out on the blessing. And you and your family, you're going to suffer for it. And God will turn to somebody else and ask them to be part of his great plan. I think that's true even today yet. God wants to use us. But yet when we're unwilling, when we're too comfortable, when we just sit, God's will is still going to be done because he's sovereign and in control. But we're going to miss out on the blessing. And when God starts withholding his blessing, that's when a person starts to go downhill. Their faith becomes weak. And ultimately, really, a a church can become weak as well. It's clear, Mordecai was claiming God's promise. In his anguish, he remembered that God had promised to never leave nor forsake his people. He knew that. But remembering is a choice, and that's what we got to remember. It's not our first instinct to want to remember. That's why when, when we pray, ACTS, it's often an acronym we use for, for praying. There's always thanksgiving in there. Why? Because in thanksgiving, we always look back and we, we, we are reminded of what God has done. He's been faithful. He's been there for us. How much he loves us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Because then when we lay our request before the Lord, we know he's listening. We know he will be faithful. Because he can't help but not be faithful. When the dark night of your soul comes... And the world is in despair. And people all around you are believing in doom and and gloom. As believers, we need to stand in the promises of God. We need to stand firm upon the rock. And it needs to show in the way we speak and the way we talk and the way we act as a witness to the world around us. For Mordecai, he's like the man described in Isaiah 50, verse verse 10. Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Sometimes we can't see clearly. and Yet God is still faithful. We can trust him. Or Joshua 1.9, which I've used before. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You don't have to fear. There's a lot of unknowns, but it's okay. Your God has this, and you just need to trust in him. Now, as I said a moment ago, Esther, while she might have initially been afraid, thinking if she went to the king, what would happen to her? Apparently, if you went to the king uninvited and he really didn't want to talk to you, his guards would kill you. It was that simple. Only if he extended his golden scepter toward whoever had come into his courtroom would they be allowed to live. And Esther knew this. But Esther needs a little push. And so Mordecai presses Esther about her initial response in fear. His words to her in verse 14 are probably some of the most famous. I'm sure you've heard them before. Mordecai says, Esther... Who knows that you have come to this royal position for a time such as this? Mordecai has grasped how incredible it was that Esther was there as queen of the Persian Empire right at the very moment that all this was happening. It wasn't by chance. Nothing happens by chance, it's not by coincidence. Clearly, God is at work here, providing for his people. And again, while we don't see God's name mentioned, yet we see his fingerprints everywhere on all the chapters. That some great God had to have been working all things to their appointed end. There's no way this could happen by chance. There's a story told of a priest who ended up being a castaway on a deserted island. Half drowned, the man finally made it to the island. and But he's a little disappointed because the island wasn't that big and there was no fresh water, but there was coconuts, lots of coconut trees. And so at least he had moisture, fluid that he could get from the coconuts, but he wondered how long that this was going to last. And so he spent the first three days um, making a shelter Um, he he formed a a crude axe and he was able to chop leaves and had it finally, so he could get out of the weather, get out of the rain. And apparently that night there was a huge storm. And because of the uh, lightning, which went down one of the trees, it it set his uh, shelter on fire and it began to burn. And this priest was angry. He was jumping up and down. He was so angry at God that God could do this. It wasn't bad enough that he ended up on this little island where there was hardly any water, but now his shelter that he spent days and days making, it was all gone. That's how he fell asleep, with that kind of anger in his heart. But he was awakened the next morning to hear, uh, hearing a, a ship's horn. And uh, suddenly there's people from a nearby ship with a lifeboat ready to take him back. And he says, how did you know? How did you know I was here on this island? And they says, well, we saw your signal fire last night. How could we not come? Mordecai wanted Esther to see that this was her moment in history, to be used by the Lord to do something great. It wasn't a time to lay low. It wasn't a time to hide but it was a time to make a stand. Stand for the Lord. And she stand, She responds by saying to Mordecai, gather all the Jews and let's fast. You gather those around you and I'll gather those that are in the palace who were with her and uh, we're going to fast. And obviously then it's to pray. Fast and pray. And that's what they did for three days and She basically decided that she was going to put her life in the Lord's hands and whatever he decided for her was okay. If she died, she died. If she lived, she lived. But she knew that she had to be obedient. I think this is something we all need to learn as well. While we might never face a situation like Esther, still all of us will face defining moments in our lifetime where we can make a difference for the Lord. And like Esther, we have to make a choice. Will I trust Jesus enough to make a stand? Do I trust Jesus enough to walk in obedience, to use my gifts and talents the way the Lord wants me to? Or will I allow myself to be consumed by doubt and worry and then end up doing little for the Lord? Isn't that the same choice that Joshua gave the children of Israel before they entered the promised land? Choose ye this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know what I warn you, making a, taking a step of faith like this, it can be costly. It may cost you some of your friends. It may cause you to fall out of favor with the world around you. It's going to force you to live your life in a way that's different than the world. Those who don't yet know Christ. See, there, there needs to be a difference. People need to see a difference. And if people at your funeral would be astonished that you were a Christian, that says that we've got to do a better job of letting our light shine. Because that needs to be something everyone notices. Wow, that he or she loved the Lord, could tell. They were different. In Ephesians, Paul reminds us that since we are God's workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, because of that, we've got work to do. God has given us gifts and talents that he wants us to use to serve him. And to serve him in ways that he already has laid out for us. It's not by chance, but it's part of his great plan. He's got things he wants you to do specifically. God has placed each of you where you are for such a time as this. Just like Esther. You're not here by chance. You're not here by chance in this time in history. You're here for a reason, every one of you. God has a plan, he has a purpose for your life, and we need to figure out what that is. This past week, the council had the privilege of of hearing Jonathan make his profession of faith at our our council meeting. And for me, it's always one of the highlights of being a pastor, being able to hear somebody make profession of faith, especially to, to give their testimony, to hear how God has been at work in a person's life. And then to see them stand up in front of all God's people and say, I I, I want to live for Jesus. I want to live for his glory. I mean, that's something we pray about for our, our children, to see them being willing to make that kind of a decision. This morning, I hope you hear the Holy Spirit calling to you, reminding you that you were called to such a time as this. You're here for a reason. He wants us to spread the flavor of his kingdom in the world around us. Wherever you go, you're spreading the flavor of his kingdom. You're being a salt and yeast. And so you need to ask yourself, who is he asking you to, to witness to? Who in your life has God brought that he wants you to be a light to? Who's struggling right now, who needs encouragement, who's lost, doesn't know the way who's facing an eternity without Jesus. Will you be the light of Christ to them? You're here for such a time as this. What about in the community around us? Who is he asking you to reach out to that you specifically have a relationship with and you can influence the most if you only speak up? and be willing to tell them about Jesus. Can one person make a, bit, a difference? And I think the answer, I, I hope you would agree with me, is yes. The Bible is full of stories like this, of people who have made a difference. And one person is important to God as well. L- listen to these two verses, Isaiah 59, 15 through 16. Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight, that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man or woman, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. God was very aware that there wasn't even one person that he could use. Or how about Ezekiel 22.30? And I sought for a man among whom should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. He was looking for just one person to stand in the gap. And he couldn't find anyone. What gap is the Lord calling you to stand in on behalf of somebody else? We've got to open our eyes. We have to see the lostness around us. We've got to be willing to do something. What about the example of Christ? Did he make a difference? God so loved the world that he did something. He didn't select a committee. He didn't theorize about it and say, wow, what a great idea if Jesus would come someday and die on the cross for our sins. But he put his plan into action. And because Jesus was willing to come and be the Savior of the world, our sins have been taken away. We've been given the gift of eternal life. Jesus was willing to say, "Lord, your will be done." He was willing to be used by God, and because of it, salvation has come. And that's what we're being called to do. To use those very words of Jesus, "Lord, may your will be done in my life. Use me." Man started a hobby of writing famous philosophers and scientists and authors. And he asked them this question, what is, your, what is the purpose of life? So he wrote all these letters out to all these different authors waiting for their reply. And these are some of the answers he got back. Isaac Asimov wrote back, as far as I can see, there is no purpose to life. Carl Jung, the Australian psychiatrist, wrote, I don't know what the meaning or the purpose of life is all about, but it looks like there, there was something meant by it. Hear a little uncertainty? How about Arthur Clarke, who wrote 2001? He said, I'm afraid I have no concrete idea of the purpose of life. Albert Ellis, who was famous with the RET therapy, as far as I can tell, life has no special or intrinsic meaning or purpose. Or Thomas Nagel, I'm afraid the meaning of life still eludes me. And With a sense of resignation, Arthur Joseph Heller, he wrote this, I have no answers to the meaning of life, and I no longer want to search for any. Most people, they have no idea why they're here, what their purpose is, even though they're here for a time such as this. Welsh poet David White, he wrote this, I don't want to have written on my tombstone when finally people struggle through the weeds, pull back the moss, and read the inscription there. He made his car payments. That was, he didn't want that on his tombstone. So you were designated, Designed for more than for more than this. God has a purpose for your life. And He has a purpose even for the trials that He allows you to go through. We live in a broken world. And we can feel the the effects of sin all around us. And sometimes it's it's evil. I think Donnell testified to that. It can be so evil. And yet when we are willing to surrender it to the Lord, the good as well as the pain and the sorrow, God will take it and bring good from it. He's that mighty and he's that powerful and we can trust him. We can trust his love. So what do you do when the dark night of the soul comes and times get tough? What will you do? May we be like Mordecai and may we be like Esther who grabbed hold of the promises of God and, and both chose to put their trust in him. May we be willing to do likewise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the example of Esther and Mordecai, for their willingness to make a stand, to be used for such a time as that. And Lord, we hear you calling us, each of us, to also, to open our eyes and to be used by you now. Father, the the harvest around us is, is ripe, ready to be brought in. Father, may we be faithful in this. Help us to remember that this is one of the most important things you've called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. standing on the promises, and so let's stand.